Well, good morning, everyone. The music stopped, so it's gone kind of silent. You're allowed to keep talking. Uh, it's good to be together again this morning, isn't it? And um, great to spend time worshipping. And just that sense of God moving among us and uh, the fact that we stand together as community. We've seen that sense of standing together, what it looks like to walk together. And um, we are going to continue our series this morning on the parables of Jesus. So we have been journeying over the last few months looking through the parables and there's so much richness, richness and so much life in them. And talking about richness, we are talking this morning about the parable of the rich fool from Luke chapter 12. So I don't know about you, uh, if you have children, do your children ever remind you of yourself when you were younger? No, not at all, says Mike, never. So uh, recently, Bethan, who is 11 has been repeatedly asking me if we could buy a Tesla. <laughs> now, just to give you kind of a gauge of where our sort of car budget sits, I drive a Vauxhall Sephira Tora, okay? It's not a particularly expensive car. It is a functional car. It does a good job. But as Bethan has repeatedly been asking me if we can buy a Tesla, because she thinks they're amazing. I think they are pretty amazing. Um, it reminded me when I was uh, younger, in my teenage years, when I went through a phase of constantly asking my dad if we could buy a Mercedes. Anyone remember those days? Wanting a Mercedes or a BMW or something like that. And uh, our family car was, uh, as you'll see in it, was an Austin Maestro. Anyone remember them? What a quality piece of British engineering there is there. And so I had no hope that my dad was ever going to buy a Mercedes. But even so, that didn't stop me going through the free ads each week or Auto Trader and finding a nice, you know, sensibly priced version of a nice Mercedes 190E. This one, a picture of one coming up now. Do you remember those? They were like the entry-level Mercedes. And I thought I could persuade my dad that we get an entry-level, we might get into the Mercedes market. Suffice to say we never ended up buying a Mercedes. We stuck with a maestro. In fact, we had two different maestros. There we go. But it's easy, isn't it, to dream. You know, to dream about what life would be like if we had a little bit more, just a little bit more money. For me, it was going through Auto Trader and trying to persuade my dad that this was a sound investment to buy a Mercedes, not an Austin maestro. For you, it might be just popping onto Right Move every now and again and checking out one of those, you know, nice houses in... Chilworth, or maybe just around the corner. Or going on to boatsforsale.com. There's a few people in here who like their boats. In fact, as I was uh, researching for this talk, I got incredibly distracted. <laughs> I found boatsforsale.com, and there was an amazing 4.1 million catamaran yacht that just looked fantastic. And actually, as I watched the advertising, I knew that my life would be so much better if I had one of them. But anyway... Or imagining what you might do if you won the lottery. Or if you're like me and you never buy a lottery ticket, imagine what life might be if you found a lottery ticket and then you won the lottery. And how amazing it might be. There's something within so many of us, isn't there, that we, um, we'd like to have just that little bit more. Um, and Jesus addresses something of that in this parable today. So let's dive into Luke chapter 12. 
verse 13. Then, so, and I haven't put it up on the screen, actually. Some of these verses I haven't put it on the screen. So I just want you to hear the words and hear what's going on. Sometimes easier when we read the screen, we lose that ability just to use our imagination. Let's not follow the text in this, but just if you need to, just shut your eyes and listen. Then someone called from the crowd, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, Friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, Beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. So Jesus is teaching. He has been uh, teaching and preaching to the crowds when suddenly someone calls out because he's in some sort of dispute with his brother about his inheritance. Now, it was really common for people in those sort of situations to actually go to a local rabbi for advice and also for them to adjudicate effectively. And the rabbi would have gone back to Old Testament law to work out what the precedent was and what should happen. And Deuteronomy uh, chapter 21, verse 17 states that when it comes to inheritance, the eldest son in a family should get a double portion of the inheritance. So if you had two sons, actually the inheritance will be divided into three And the oldest son will get two of those parts, and the younger son will get just the one. So it seems likely that this is a younger brother coming to ask Jesus this question. We don't know the full situation. Has the older son not allowed this younger brother to get any of the inheritance? Or is it that the younger son actually wants more than just his single portion and share of the double portion his older brother's got? And a normal rabbi would give some practical advice and maybe make a decision about what should actually happen. But this is Jesus. And Jesus is not a normal rabbi. And Jesus, in this instance, sees straight to the core of the issue, that this is an issue about the heart. And that the issue here, Jesus identifies as greed. Whether it's the greed of the older brother or the greed of the younger brother, we don't know. But greed is at the heart of this. And so from this interaction, Jesus goes on, as he so often does, to tell a story, a parable. So carrying on in verse chapter 16. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and all my other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. You will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, A person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. The key issue that Jesus is addressing is greed and selfishness. In the story, the man is already rich. He already has all that he needs, but he wants to stockpile even more of his wealth so that, in his own words, he can take it easy. He can eat and drink and be merry so that he can effectively take life easy and spend it all on his own pleasure. Now, I don't believe that Jesus here is criticizing the concept of saving money. In fact, if we look in Genesis, we have an amazing example of God encouraging 
saving, where, where God um, gives Pharaoh a dream of seven fat cows coming out of the river Nile, and then seven skinny ones come out, and the skinny ones go and they eat up the fat cows. And Pharaoh has no idea what's going on, so he calls in Joseph and uh, asks him to interpret. And Joseph says, God is telling you, basically, that you can have seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. So uh, Joseph is put in charge of the kingdom, and over those first seven years of plenty, he collects a fifth of all the grain that's produced in each year, and he puts it in storehouses. So when the seven years of famine come along, there is enough grain to feed all the people of Egypt, but not only the people of Egypt. Actually, people from the surrounding nations are also saved because they come to ask and buy food, and that includes Joseph's father and brothers. Putting some money into savings, if we can, is wise, because we don't know what's ahead. The problem, as Jesus tells us in verse 21, is doing it without a rich and generous heart towards God. And we know that a rich and generous heart towards God is also a rich and generous heart towards others. Jesus said, when asked about the most important commandment, love the Lord God, your God, with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. And the second commandment, which is equally important, is that we love our neighbor as ourselves. Loving God and loving our neighbor are inseparable. The rich fool had a heart problem. His motivation was selfishness and greed. Jesus tells the crowd that someone like that is a fool. Now, um, if you hear the word fool, you might think of the A-team. Crazy fool. I remember B.A. Barakas. In fact, does anyone live near Woodmill? There used to be a little sticker that um, said, as you went through Woodmill, where you can only take three cars at once, only a fool breaks the three-car rule. And I always heard it in a kind of B.A. Barakas kind of style as I read that. So anyway, that's, that's a diversion. But when Jesus uses the word fool, we might substitute idiot or stupid or imbecile. It's a harsh and strong word that Jesus uses in that moment. Why? Because his view was temporary. The rich fool's view was temporary, not eternal. He only thought of this life, not the next. And then Jesus goes on in the rest of this passage to show his disciples the wise way to approach money. And I think I've put these words on the screen. Let's read it. Then turning to his disciples, Jesus said, That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear. For life is more than food and your body more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, but God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any birds. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use in worrying about bigger things? Look at the lilies. And how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? And don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. But your father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. So don't be afraid, little flock. 
For it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it and no moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. So in the parable, the story about the rich fool, Jesus has addressed greed, which the dictionary would define as intense and selfish desire for something, especially wealth, power, or food. That was in the story of the rich fool. But then he goes on to address what is another major reason that many people seek after wealth. That is worry and anxiety about the future. The fear of one day not having enough. And if I'm honest, I can relate to that more than I can to the story of the rich fool. Um, just recently, I've been um, helping my dad. My dad's uh, 88, mum's 87. They're quite elderly. And um, I've been helping dad with his finances. Increasingly, just remembering the password to get onto his computer is a challenge. So trying to help him with his finances and work things through and with his bank accounts. Um, and my dad uh, retired at that kind of peak moment when investments had done wonderfully well and most people retiring about that time retired with a really good pension pot. But um, in the last 18 months, my mum's had to go into a care home. She's suffering from dementia and had broke both, in her, both her hips. And care home fees, it's not a particularly posh care home. It doesn't even have an ensuite room. But... The fees are £1,300 a week. It's hugely expensive, and that's pretty standard. And I can see my dad's finances just draining so quickly. And as I think ahead to my future, I, I don't anticipate being able to have a pension pot anywhere near the size of my dad's. And it's easy on days to be concerned about actually what my future holds, what the future would hold for Sarah and myself in retirement as we live longer. Wealth can give us many good things. It can give us freedom and choice, security. It can help us enjoy good health as we're seen too quickly if we have problems. Give us an ability to realize dreams and it can give us influence which we can use for good or for ill. And the desire for those things can often be what motivates us towards wanting more. And I think that is different to greed. But the trouble is, we can so easily substitute wealth for God. Depending on wealth to provide freedom and security and health and opportunities. So we don't need to trust and depend on God for these things. And I believe that's why Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Because wealth can insulate us from the need and from the desire to trust God. And those who are rich can easily believe that they have all that they need and don't need God. The question I guess we have to answer is, who are the rich that Jesus talks about? Um, did you know that if you are in a single-person household in this country and you are earning £25,000 a year, you are in the top 7% of wealthiest people in the world. 
a four-person household with a joint income of £50,000 is also within the top 20%. And if you are earning in a single-person household uh, £12,500, which isn't a large salary by any means in this country, you are still within the top 20% wealthiest people in the world. Now, I recognize that for some, especially with the current cost of living pressures, we can feel far from rich and recognize that uh, that lower salary, that could be a real challenge still to live on £12,500 a year. And the financial pressures can be extremely challenging. But when we compare ourselves to our brothers and sisters around the world, we are on the whole extremely well off. Many of us, as I said, are within the top 20%, if not considerably higher. And our living standards are far better than the majority of the world, which is why so many people want to come to the UK. Most of us are the rich that Jesus is referring to. In the parable of the sower, Jesus warned us. We looked at that quite a few months ago now. Jesus warned us about the deceitfulness of wealth where wealth can become a substitute for God. And he warns us in verse 15 of this passage, life is not measured by how much you earn. Yet how easy is it for us to compare ourselves with others, either favorably or unfavorably, based on uh, what we earn and, and what our position is in life, which is so often related to wealth. Now, I, as many of you know, um, I am trained as a flying instructor, and about 12 years ago, I was working, I was in my early 30s, and I was working full-time as a flying instructor. And it was an amazing job. I was doing what I loved. I was flying planes every day, meeting lots of interesting people, and the number of people that I would take up on a trial lesson who go, wow, is this your job? Do you do this every day? This is amazing. And it was brilliant. The challenge was, it paid really, really poorly. The hourly rate was poor because... Because lots of people want to be pilots, you can, the flying schools and airlines can kind of exploit their joy and excitement of getting in the air and not pay you too much money. Plus, the English weather is terrible, so if you only get paid for the hour that you're in the air, you can imagine the number of hours you sit on the ground and don't get paid. So actually, it was, um, it, 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 I wasn't earning much money at all. And at that time, many of my friends and peers were really just starting to fly in their careers, Careers were taking off, they were moving to bigger houses and having nicer holidays, and it really challenged my sense of who I was. Um, my ability to provide for my family in the way that my peers were. And I had to spend a lot of time with God, just really trying to trust Him in a new way about my identity, because so much of the time our identity gets wrapped up in what we earn and what we have. Jesus says, beware, guard against every kind of greed. The sense in what he's saying is this, I believe, is that greed can sneak up on us without noticing. Gradually, it can work its way into our hearts and minds before before we know it. We're not satisfied anymore with what we have. We start comparing what we've got to what others have and wanting what they've got. We're no longer enjoying what God has already given us, and trusting him for what we need in the future. Jesus instead teaches us that our heavenly father loves us and cares for us and can be trusted to provide all that we need. 
that we don't need to chase after wealth or security. In the passage we've just read, let me remind you of this. Don't be concerned about what you eat and what you drink. Don't worry about such things. Your father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. So a question. Should we only spend on the things that are truly essential? On food, clothing, and shelter, and give away everything else and not have any savings. There are some who take that choice. Many people in monastic orders take a vow of poverty and will live like that. But I don't believe that we're all called to that. I believe that God provides for us not only to meet our needs, but also for us to enjoy his blessing. In this passage, there's the section where Jesus talks about the lilies of the field being more beautiful than Solomon in all his glory. Those lilies to perform their function don't need to be beautiful, and yet God chooses to make them beautiful so that we can enjoy them. There's an extravagance in the way God has created. And there were clearly rich Christians in the early church. Some of Jesus' followers were wealthy. We hear of Joanna, who was married to a powerful member of Herod's court. Joseph of, Joseph of Arimathea, who gave Jesus his tomb, was a wealthy individual. Paul, in 1 Timothy 6, speaks very specifically to wealthy Christians in the church. He doesn't tell them to give up their wealth, but he does directly challenge them on their relationship with money and how they should use it. So this is 1 Timothy chapter 6. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Paul doesn't say, well, Paul does say, don't put your hope in wealth. It will let you down. That's his message. Don't put your hope in wealth. It will let you down. For us today, the stock market could crash. We could have rampant inflation. House prices could fall. There could be a war. We feel so safe and insulated in the West from the hardship and risk. Yet we look around us on our news feeds, we see so many people for whom wealth has not provided them the protection that they possibly thought it was. Look at Ukraine. We've got Ukrainian friends with us in the room this morning. Nobody believed there could be another war in Europe. And yet there are so many people now who were comfortable and prosperous just 18 months ago, two years ago, who have now lost everything. Wealth does not protect us. It does not insulate us in the way that sometimes we believe it does. Paul says to these rich Christians, don't trust in wealth, but instead, instead, put your hope in God who will provide for you for your enjoyment. And then he goes on to say, Basically, do good to others. Be generous. Be willing to share. This way, you will lay up treasure for yourself in the coming age. 
And that's what Jesus is saying in this whole passage we've been reading this morning. Effectively, if I can summarize what Jesus says, it is this. Don't worry about what you will eat or drink or wear, but be generous and invest in the kingdom. And when we invest in the kingdom, we trade what is temporary for something eternal. In verse 33, Jesus said this, Give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. Paul alludes to the same in Timothy. For Jesus and Paul, there is a clear correlation between what we do with our money in this life and the reward that we receive in heaven. It's not that we can buy our way into heaven. Salvation comes only through putting our faith in Jesus. It has nothing to do with our wealth, with our generosity. But for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, there seems to be a connection with how generous we are and the reward that we receive in heaven. And I believe this extends to all of our resources. It includes how generous we are with our time as well, for example. But as Jesus demonstrated when he pointed out the poor widow that was giving into the temple treasury, remember that moment? Poor widow putting in a couple of coins, and Jesus says she's given far more than all these wealthy people who are giving out of their excess. She's given out of the little she has. Jesus makes it clear it's not about quantity, but it's about the generosity of our hearts and what we do with what we have, whether we have lots or whether we have little. And the question I think this challenges us for, it's been very challenging for me as I've prepared this talk. Will we seek the kingdom above all else? Being generous, giving to those in need, helping the widows and orphans, sharing the good news, laying down our lives and resources for God and the gospel, trading the temporary for the eternal. Are you holding on to wealth or possessions just for your own enjoyment? Is there a challenge in this passage where Jesus says to sell your things? Are there some things that you need to give up, either to give away to other people or sell so that you can give money to those in need? Are your savings and investment goals meaning that you don't have any capacity to be generous now? Maybe we need to adjust some of our goals so that we have money to give to those in need and thereby we're investing in the kingdom for eternal returns as well as investing for our retirement. Paul tells us in Galatians 5 verse 1 that it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. And Jesus wants us to be free in all areas of our lives. When it comes to money and possessions, our wealth can limit our freedom when we are unable to hold it lightly in the way good God would have us do it. Jesus wants to set us free from always needing or wanting more. So that in the words of Hebrews 13, we would keep our lives free from the love of money and be content with what we have. And he also wants to set us free from fear that we won't have enough so that we're able to fully trust that he is good and that he will give us everything that we need. 
And when we live in the God-given freedom of contentment and gratitude and trust, money no longer has a hold on us. Instead, it becomes a wonderful gift for us to enjoy and to use as a resource for the kingdom of God. We're able to live within our means, enjoy God's blessing, save appropriately, and give generously, investing in the kingdom both in the now and for eternity. Back to the start, dreaming of Teslas or Mercedes or nice boats. (laughs) It's okay to dream a little about what we would do if we had a little bit more. But let's allow God to orientate our dreams towards the kingdom and those we can bless through all that he has given us. And he has given us so much. Remembering as we do the words of Jesus that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Shall we pray? Maybe just take a moment and... um, as we ask the Holy Spirit to lead us, allow God just to show you if any of those areas I've illustrated apply to you. Is there a sense of just always wanting that little bit more? Is there a fear or anxiety about not having enough to provide for the future? Is there a comparison that you make with your peers, either a positive or a negative comparison? Holy Spirit, would you just show us what it is that you want to put your finger on this morning with regards to wealth and possessions? And Jesus, you came to give us freedom freedom to fully live and truly live and to be dependent on you and you alone. And Holy Spirit, in this moment, would you come? And Lord, would you help us to get the perspective of heaven on money, on wealth, on possessions? Teach us how to be content with what you've given us. Teach us to trust you knowing that you are a good, good father and you'll give us all we need. Just one of the bunch of people that I'd like to pray for. Maybe this morning as I've shared about money, wealth, possessions, talked about saving, you found yourself and it's really hard right now. You'd love to save but there's no way you can save at the moment. For you, thinking about having a little bit more is not about just wishing for luxuries or enjoyment. It's just about being able to survive each day. And I just pray for you that this week you would supernaturally know the abundant provision of Jesus in your life. Lord, would you come and give us everything that we need? that we would increasingly be able to put our faith and trust in you, knowing that you are a good, good father, that we can stand on the testimony and the experience that we've had of your provision. For anyone who is in that situation right now, would you provide everything they need and more this week?
in Jesus' name. Amen.